You're listening to Honey in the Heart, a podcast dishing out the nitty gritty on how to have healthy, connected, drama-free relationships. Through vulnerable storytelling, practical teachings, and inspiring interviews, we explore how to navigate all matters of the heart. I'm your host, Mackenzie Eason. I'm a love and relationship coach devoted to helping women understand their emotions, communicate with confidence, and reclaim their power in the face of fear or manipulation. After my own journey healing from toxic relationships and spiritual bypassing, I'm all about speaking truth and pointing to the holiness of our humanness. If you're vibing with the podcast, be sure to sign up in the show notes to become a love letter insider. This is basically my monthly newsletter community space where I continue these combos, answer your personal questions, and give you the behind the scenes of my own relationship. Now take a nice big breath in, feel your precious heart, and let's dive in. The guest for today's episode is Jeff Brown, and I've been eyeing Jeff Brown's writing on social media for quite some time now, and each of his pieces would just reverberate through me with this powerful, like, yes, amen, and hallelujah. Uh, Jeff has a really powerful way of articulating the nuances and intricacies of true grounded spirituality and love. His teachings are direct and deep calling out the BS and painful shortcomings of New Age culture and spiritual relationships. So given my history with spiritual gaslighting and my passion for the realness in relationships, I knew Jeff was the perfect first guest for Honey in the Heart. In this episode, Jeff covers a lot of ground, particularly the importance of enrealment in relationship. So if you're craving some insights and guidance on how to have a thriving relationship to yourself, God, your partner, and a type of relationship that includes all of yourself, not just the love and light, and as Jeff often puts it, that includes your fucked up humanness, this episode is for you. So I hope you enjoy. And a little bit about Jeff if you aren't familiar with his work yet. A former criminal lawyer and psychotherapist, Jeff Brown is the author of six popular books, Soul Shaping, Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground, Love It Forward, An Uncommon Bond, Spiritual Graffiti, and Grounded Spirituality. He is also the producer and primary journeyer in the award-winning spiritual documentary, Carmageddon, which also stars Ram Dass, Sean Korn, Deva Pramal, and Mitten. After writing a series of inspirations for ABC's Good Morning America in 2010 and appearing on foxnews.com and dozens of radio shows, Brown wrote the viral blog Apologies to the Divine Feminine from a warrior in transition that autumn, catapulting him into a greater degree of nobriety, particularly in social media. Jeff's new terms and short writings became a phenomenon some years ago and continue to be shared by seekers and growers worldwide. His quotes have been shared in social media by Alanis Morissette, Fergie, Chrissy Metz, and many other well-known figures. Most beautifully, they have touched and benefited millions of souls. This gratifies him deeply. 
In April 2018, Jeff was invited to Ottawa by Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, gender equality activist and the wife of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, to film a conversation about emotional healing and inclusivity. She has been sharing Jeff's words in speeches and social media posts for some time. Excerpts from that powerful dialogue are viewable on Sophie's Facebook and Instagram pages. Jeff is the founder of Soul Shaping Institute and Enrealment Press. He lives in Canada with his wife, poet Susan Freibort. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode. I'm so delighted to have Jeff Brown with us. Uh, so first and foremost, welcome, Jeff. It's such an honor to have you with us. Yeah, pleasure to be with you, Mackenzie. There's so much I want to dive into, but um, before we do, I'm going to guide us through a little grounding meditation to basically set the container for our interview or talk today. And this is basically an opportunity for you and I, Jeff, to just get present, see what's here. And also for anyone who's listening to this be kind of like a permission slip to take a little pause out of the momentum of your day and uh, tune in. So I'll guide us through that. And then Jeff, you and I will take uh, a moment to exchange a couple words of sensation or thought, feeling um, that we notice is like alive and present for us right now. So if you're able and it feels comfortable, closing your eyes, taking a couple nice deep breaths. Not forcing it, really letting it feel good, as good as it can. And starting at the very top of your head, and letting your awareness trickle down from crown of your head, down through your skull, the center of your head, down your neck. And just noticing sensation, feeling, thoughts, openness, tightness, temperature. And continuing to trickle your awareness down to your chest, front of your heart, the back of your heart, sides. And swooping down your arms, your elbow, to your fingertips and bringing it back to your chest, down the center of your belly, swooping down towards your pelvis and then down your legs and eventually your toes. Taking a couple more deep breaths, just zooming your awareness out just all over, any things you notice. And I will start first. Um, Let's see, what did I notice today? Um, I'm aware of there's definitely a little racing in my heart 
and a it's very fluttery um, in a way that's like feels like this combination of nerves but also like a butterfly in a way that's just like really beautiful and excited and I'm aware of there's a certain heaviness in like my sacrum in the back of my pelvis and a certain you know very airy feeling in my feet um i feel like i'm both um very strongly in my mind right now i spent the day um doing some final proofreads for my new uh jeffbrown.co website and and that was like very um, mind-centered. Um, and it's been like a three-month journey in the middle of moving house. And so mm. it's been a very ungrounding and often triggering period of time. And But as I was coming towards the end of the process, so this end of a three-month web build, um, website build, I also began to feel this incredible sense of satisfaction and um, uh, just gratitude and uh, the quite a very emotional about all of the millions of steps that I walked on so many seemingly impossible levels to reach the stage where everything that's in that website could have, could be human manifest. And, mm. um, and that, that pulled me towards the end of the day out of my mind and just really into kind of a grateful heart. And so I was there, and then I had to kind of race home and have dinner and meet with you. So I was like <laughs> racing and trying to hold on to that a wonderful feeling of like it's kind of like a rite of passage moment when I've crossed to the next level of, I guess, actualization on my path. And, um, you know, it just feels profound and. Um, I feel very reverent and also a little tired uh, imagining all the different steps that I had to take. Yeah, mm. so all kinds of things happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes. There's, like I said, there's so many pieces I'm excited to talk to you about. And I think I'll actually start with... Um, I guess what sparked me to reach out and see if you'd be willing to be on the show. And it's around this term in realment that you use. And when I um, saw you use that term and then really tuned into it and and learned about how you use it, it was this like, ah, yes, sort of a feeling. So I'd love if you could share a little bit about the word in realment and how you use it. And also any pieces of those, like you said, those thousands of steps that got you to where you are in your work right now, like any pieces of your journey that you feel called to share? Um, you know, I think maybe I'll just read you the, the new definition. We have an enrealment dictionary on the new website, so I'll probably read oh, that. Oh, nice. The thing that I was feeling into today was, you know, um, before I became a lawyer, I... I had a, I formed a window company. They were called door inserts in Ontario where you install wrought iron and stained glass windows and front doors and subdivisions. And I, I sold them door to door for years. I probably knocked on more doors in North America than anybody in the last <laughs> year. And actually I kind of missed that and delivering flyers because it was grounding and um, 
just so very human in many ways. And yeah, I was thinking a lot about that today, about how many doors, how many subdivisions, how many wintry day door knocks and minus 15 degree temperatures, and you know, just and, and how much all of that was part of trying to bring me to this moment on my path, my journey. It's just something. Um, so speaking of enrealment, because that was about as enrealed as enrealed could get, having to sell 20 panels on the weekend to hit my quota so I could go home and write Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then go back out and door knock on doors for the next mm-hmm. four days. Um, so the term enrealment, I'll just define it, um, is the idea that a, the idea that a more heightened consciousness is not all about the light, as enlightenment often implies, but is about becoming more authentically human, flaws and all, and more genuinely here in all respects. Shadow and light, earth and sky, grocery list and unity consciousness. Enrealment is about living in all aspects of reality simultaneously rather than only those realms that feel the most comfortable. Our expansion is directly linked to our capacity to experience our spirituality in inclusive and authentic terms. We are not just the light or the mind or the emptiness or eternal positivity. We're the everything. It's all God, even the dust that falls off our awakening hearts. Uh, Let me go a little farther. Uh, In tangible terms, an enrealed human being has a wider energetic girth. She recognizes that sustainable transformation requires a turning toward all elements of reality and not a turning away from them. Her consciousness may be focused on a single realm at times, but all the other gateways are ajar, accessible, and close to heart, or close at heart. He is alive to his feelings and attuned to his psychoemotional state. He's aware of and actively works on his unresolved patterns and issues. She's relationally connective. She's aware of her sociological context, her ancestral roots, the family of humans that support her. Her feet are firmly grounded on the earth plane while at the same time being attuned to subtler, intangible states of awareness. He feels connected to his body temple, both its open and closed places. He's healthily boundaried but not closed off, fluid not fixed. He's aware of the world around him, including the natural world. She's conscious of her localized reality and aware of her practical needs and responsibilities, things to do, obligations, commitments to honor, and yet is also aware of her place in the vaster field. She sees the bigger picture, not from a bird's eye view, but from the depths of her being. She sees spirituality everywhere. Be real now. So, you know, what does it mean to be real now? Um, you know, so much of what I identify as the so-called spiritual world is, you know, a patriarchal construct that's really primarily about um, fixating on or mastering particular realms of experience mm-hmm. and bypassing and bypassing all the others. And, you know, I mean, it's the kind of the game little boys play. They don't want to get their hands caught in the cookie jar, so they just pretend they're masters of the realm or something. And <laughs> yeah. once, once I began to realize that, I began to understand that there was another way of being in the world. And it really was one that was a much more difficult thing to master. Um, and that the idea of being, you know, that they used to say, I remember there was this man once who I encountered in Mexico. And after I got to law school and I was not going to do law and I wasn't sure what I was going to do and I was in process and I told him my story and he said, oh, we don't need that. We need we need masters, you know, um, we don't need any more jack of all trades, master of masters of none. And, and now as I've gotten older, I've come to believe that I, I feel more spiritual and more truly connected to all that is when I not a master of one particular thing, but when I'm actually, um, somehow connected to more fields of awareness at one time. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for breaking that term down and, 
And I saw that image of a little boy not wanting to get his hand in the cookie jars is, is perfect. And yeah, I so think, that's a big sword. And he says, I am the master. It's all, uh-huh. it's, most of spirituality is about that game. Yeah, yeah. And a piece of my journey that really opened my eyes to this is I, and this is a big piece of my work and, and my history, but I was once in a relationship with someone who very much held that, like, I am a spiritual leader, spiritual master, this is the, the, the exact thing you're describing. Um, and yet our relationship and the ways he wasn't able to show up um, was very illuminating for me and kind of open my eyes to, I guess I would say like the schism that happens sometimes yeah. with that, yeah. that way of spirituality. And, and, and it was so interesting because within that too, there was still an air of like, well, spiritual relationships, like kind of the whole twin flame thing and, and just like all the spiritual myths that I feel like um, often actually add to toxic relationships or can. Um, and so I'm really curious, like, are there any, there's a couple of your writing pieces that really spoke to me around that topic. And I'm curious, like any pieces you feel like sharing around how you see relationships fit into this path of enrealment and this path of like a real grounded, integrative sort of spirituality? Here, I'll read you. Uh, this is a quote from Ground Spirituality about twin flames. Then I want to go back just to what something you said. Yeah. So, quote, twin flames is one of the most dangerous delusional terms in the spiritual world that is very little grounding and often attracts new cagers with very poor boundaries who desperately want to believe that their unhealthy relationship is soul-sponsored. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it is, but that doesn't mean it's healthy or sustainable. The moment someone says they're in a twin flame relationship, I suggest that they buy a fire extinguisher and a burn kit because, yeah. they're, because they're going to need them. What we need now are terms that reflect soul connections that are centered, grounded, sustainable, mature. And, you know, in my book, An Uncommon Bond, and also in Grounded Spirituality, where there's a chapter called In Real Love Relationships, I really get into distinguishing a grounded, sustainable, integrative relationship from these silly twin flame constructs um, that lasso a lot of really desperate people into them and often end up leading to all kinds of destruction. You know, I think that, that one of the primary problems, just going back to what you were describing in terms of the relationship you were in, is that so much of what we've been calling spirituality, at least in the patriarchal structure, is it pits our spirituality against our humanness. So mm-hmm. the spiritual field is this thing that is, you know, about entering into a state of equanimity because they don't want to feel all their trauma. It's about floating in the stillness and the emptiness because noise and sound and movement bring up their stuff. Um, and it's really about understanding that the human behavior and human personality are somehow not part of the sacred or spiritual experience. That's why gurus can get away with whatever they want. And they just say, that's not really them. It's all part right. of this bloody, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you start to define spirituality as reality, which I do, that is that the most spiritual one is not the one who's mastered a singular realm, but is the one who is existing in relation to the greatest number of realms which deeply and completely includes all aspects of their humanness, which includes an honoring of the healthy ego, an honoring of selfhood, an honoring of story, of honoring of feelings, because they're certainly not an illusion, an honoring of the body. 
and you begin to understand that that is indistinguishable from a spiritual uh, experience and is fact is in fact the only way you can have a spiritual experience is through an enlivened self then you begin to understand reality in a different way and you begin to see those people and they're not only men who are dissociating from reality and calling that an awakening experience as the bypassers that they are mm. So self-avoidance masquerading as enlightenment is all over the spiritual field. And yes. in grounded spirituality, you know, the first part of the book, I just take the reader through my journey for about 60 pages. But most of the book is about 350 pages of a dialogue with me and imagined ungrounded seeker named Michael in Toronto, where uh, he comes to me. He's been, you know, meditating three, four hours a day. He can yogic fly. He's done the whole thing. And he's completely a mess in his personal life. Because he's, of course, been attracted to a woman who wants to connect and bond and, and merge in the humanness. Um, and he's also a mess at his work because he hasn't found his sacred purpose. Because you can't find your purpose if you're not in your body. Uh, you can't find it floating in an equanimous field of emptiness. There's nothing there for you. It's all in your body. And so I take him through a process to try to get him back into his body and into a real experience of here because until you're really here, you can't even begin to ask the question as to why you're here. Um, mm. and, you know, and by the end of it, I won't go much farther into it. And I, I actually just sent you the book by an ebook. Uh, by the end of it, you know, he comes to a place where he's a much more integrated person and no longer resisting his humanness and calling that spirituality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel so many, so many yeses to what you just described. And, Going back to the twin flame piece, I that was also you know such a piece that had me hooked for for some time. Just like oh well, this is you know a twin flame thing, and um, I'm going to keep in this even though it's toxic, so that I can feel like a like I'm quote doing my work, you know, even though it's actually really unhealthy, toxic, re actual traumatizing than integrative and healing. And so I just love the way you speak to that because I think many people uh, get hooked into that. And something really jumped off the page for me of, you, you know, you can't find your purpose or do these other pieces unless you're actually here and in your body. Right. So if, if, you're, if you're operating from the belief that the most expansive or awakened experience is something that requires that you disconnect from your emotional body, then you're by definition not capable of engaging deeply in a love connection because mm -hmm. you have to, on some level, sever your connection to your heart. You know, you can feel a collective love or an all oneness love for humanity, right. but you're not really in your body and in your heart. You're armored. And as a result, it becomes, you know, so it's by definition impossible to engage in a healthy love connection if you believe that spirituality and humanness are essentially, in, are essentially two completely different experiences. The only right. way that you're going to be able to have a healthy, sustainable love connection is if you're willing to drop into your body and not see all the material that comes up, all the trigger material and wound material, individual material, ancestral material, as something that's not part of spirituality. But it's something that is, because if you mm -hmm. get something distinct from the enlightened experience, you're going to keep trying to push it away. And yet at the same time, it's going to be completely ruling your relational life. I can't tell you how many well-known so-called enlightened spiritual masters and authors 
uh, who I know about and whose lives I know about are a complete and utter mess in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to me, that's a perfect reflection of this bifurcation between reality right. and humanists that his, and, and the, the great problem Mackenzie right now is we're seeing in this Trumpian world and with climate change and all the rest of it is, is if we get, the reason I critically review spiritual teachers uh, and teachings is because I believe that if we don't do that, if we keep protecting spirituality as though freedom of expression, critical review, all those things aren't applicable there, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to save the species. Because if you really believe that this individualized experience you're having vertically, pondering your own navel in a cave for 30 years, while all the mundane humans down in the village are dealing with nonsense, if we believe that, nobody is going to notice what's happening between us and, and what's happening to our planet, what's happening to our species, and nobody's going to care because we're going to be convinced that all of that is somehow subspiritual. Mm -hmm. so if we want to get here and save this species, we got to get into our bodies, which means we've got to define spirituality in a completely different way. You know, you can't just be witnessing your pain body from across that room and call that <laughs> call that awakening. You can't be in a meditative stupor, which is a drug trip, and talk in that really equanimous way and, and fool me into thinking that you're really alive and awake and you're truly enlightened. If you're not vital and in your body and in your heart and you don't have energy coming through you on all kinds of different levels, there's nothing awakened about you. You're just dissociated. Right. And I feel like having that discernment of those two things is is so huge you know the disassociated versus like the actually right here vitalness and and that for me has been what's opened my eyes of where i see using relationships as a vehicle i see relationship actually as this amazing intersection of yeah. where it, it meets, you've got to be here. <laughs> like it's in tactile, in-person relationship and it involves your body and your heart and is the perfect gateway for your traumas and emotional pieces. And to have a healthy relationship, I find that you, you've got to be willing to get all up in that, basically, right. not, not right. turn away. Right. right, but that's why many of the so-called um, awakened ones avoid relationship and, and, and define it as a substandard path because right. it brings up all the unresolved trauma. Yeah, what you're saying is true. If we don't activate the trauma, if we don't go into the material and see what comes up in the relational field, you know, we're not even going, many of us, even to begin to know how fucked up we are. Um, and if we're not willing to go into our shadow and do work within our shadow, there's not no possibility of transformation. Repressed emotions are unactualized spiritual lessons, I said in soul shaping. And so if we don't excavate that material and work through that material, we can't transform individually and we can't transform collectively. And the, one of the great problems we're confronted with now is that so much of Western spirituality, certainly Eastern spirituality, but also Western spirituality is bifurcated. You know, it's lightweight, new cagey, or it's dissociative patriarchal. And, you know, nobody's really talking about it. You know, I mean, Andrew Harvey was the, one of the only ones ever talking about it because all of them were buying into the same celebrity myth and trying to get on Oprah and, you know, spewing mm -hmm. simplistic forgiveness mantras and miracle nonsense and all this stuff <laughs> that has nothing to do with spiritual life. This That has to do with selling product, but it has nothing to do with spiritual right. life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, really fascinating and, and, and such a phenomena. Um, I'm curious, like 
what's coming to mind is you've spoken to like the being connected to your emotions and, and facing the trauma and the pain body and the ancestral stuff. I'm curious, are there any pieces that you've like, what am I trying to say here? Basically like any tips or things that you've seen that really help someone get in there and work with that within a relationship or with really like, okay, maybe noticing like, wow, like maybe listening to this and like, Oh fuck, that's me. I'm pretty just like dissociative. Um, What are the ways that you suggest to just start getting in there and working with the emotions and the traumas and the heart state and the uncomfortable stuff? I mean, I think that the the thing that helped me though, talk therapy was helpful and was good preparation for Mm -hmm. what had to happen. But really the deepest levels of transformation happened for me through somatic based psychotherapies. Um, so I, I, Alexander Lowen, who was the co-founder of Bioenergetics, which was mm-hmm. the primary somatic psychotherapy um, for many, many years, maybe decades. Um, I worked with Lowen. Lowen was my therapist for a period of time. I wrote about him in, in Grounded Spirituality. And in fact, let me just see. I want to read just a quick little something about this whole topic. Um, so most historical and popular modern spiritual teachers are bypassing the very material that must be deeply owned and worked through before sustainable transformation can happen. That's the great irony of their teachings. They call themselves spiritual teachers, but they turn us away from our selfhood stories and coded embodied wisdom so that we can only know reality in a limited way. They're the furthest thing from spiritual teachers. In the work of many body-centered psychotherapists, there's a deep understanding of the fact that one cannot be truly present for reality if their physical and emotional bodies are tied up in knots. It takes the same courage and sturdiness to show up for your individual shadow as it does to show up for all elements of reality. And if you don't have the discipline to see your feelings through, you simply won't have the discipline required to be with all of what this is. In this way, I view somatic psychotherapists as our truest spiritual teachers because they actually provide a more inclusive blueprint for awakening and integration. So I recommend bioenergetics. I recommend core energetics. I recommend Peter Levine's work with somatic experiencing. Shelley's mm-hmm. TRE work I've heard good things about. I've never done a session, but I've heard, heard good things about them. Some people like Ron Kurtz's Hakomi work. I find it a bit lightweight and detached, but I, I think it can be helpful as a way into the body, particularly for hardcore trauma survivors who don't want to go into intensely too quickly. Um, and I think if we're not doing body center psychotherapies, if we're not coming deeply back into our body, then we don't even begin to know the depths of our emotional, our unresolved emotional material because it's stored in the body. So when I started to do bioenergetics, I started to have access to memories and pains and unresolved material that in my waking talk therapy consciousness, I didn't have any access to. So what's coming up in the relational field, it starts to come up through the body if there's intimacy, but then we have to go back down into the body to do the work to construct real, real transformation. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes. But, but you know, this is the problem, Mackenzie. The problem is spirituality is leading people away from their bodies, at least right. any conventional spiritualities, because they don't want anything to do with the trauma. They're wanting to float about and pseudo transcend the trauma. They're not wanting to integrate whatever they're finding in that expansive moment with what's still unresolved in their bodies. They're wanting to float away from their bodies. Right. Right. And, what we need to, and so the reason why, if you look in the literature, 
you'll see like when Ken Wilber, you know, began to study all of the various spiritual teachings and to find points of integration and, you know, what everybody was talking about and to try to bring it together into a model, he was primarily focused on individual teachings. You know, usually men, almost always men, who had developed various ideas and put them out in literary form. But what's missing and what I began to do when I wrote my thesis on my uncommon bond experience was to understand that what we need to do is develop models for the relational spiritual models that help us to understand what's possible in the relational field in terms of access to an enreeled consciousness. Um, because my experience was I couldn't even begin to get close to the realms of possibility through individual experience. The kinds of things that I was experiencing relationally were way more expansive, way more painful, way more vulnerable, way more depthful, and way more here. And we really need people to now co-create and study relationship and understand how it really is the portal to divinity. Mm. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're not just here together. We're not just here together to keep each other company. We're here together to show each other God. And, and I don't mean God in just some ecstatic sense. I don't mean God in an ungrounded sense. I mean God as in to have access to every every aspect of the human experience. And so much of that happens through the open heart and in the relational field. Mm. Most mm. patriarchal spirituality is trying to move us in the direction of doing everything alone on a meditation cushion or in a cave. And that's the whole problem. Right. Right. Yeah. Then just yeah. pulls you, pulls you away from it. Well, that, that those are first stages of awakening that are, that are being you know presented as um, step everything. When really all, so if you read Power of Now, what Tolle is talking about, he talks about feeling suicidal, he talks about waking up in the morning and being in another state, which he calls enlightenment, and what I would probably call dissociation. But if you identify some of his techniques as first stages of awakening to invite people to step back from their localized perceptions and, and just have a more expansive perspective on their inner worlds, then it's helpful. But then we need to construct models that then move from that more expansive moment and weave all of that into our imminent and localized experience, what I call Western consciousness. So a blend of the quest for essence fundamental to a unity consciousness experience with the uh, emphasis on a healthy self-concept, building the self that's fundamental to a Western consciousness. And if you can bring those together then you can actually come into a more in real state of consciousness. But if you only focus on the psychological and not the expansive, then you're kind of so grounded as to be buried. It's almost right. And if you only focus on the unified fields, which is a wonderful place to dance in sometimes and don't come back down into your body, then you're connected to something called all oneness, that every per aspect of your personal life is a complete and utter mess. So, Right. Well, our models that and I attempted to create that in, or co-create that in grounded spirituality, what we need now are models that allow for us to develop and weave all of those elements of the human experience together in one being. Mm -hmm. Right. Like continue that thread out of just the expansive kind of the contained right. experience. And I know for myself for years, I was, you know, years ago I was doing that. Um, even what I thought was like a very embodied experience with yoga, but I was actually going to my yoga mat every time to avoid uncomfortable feelings. I didn't want to right. deal with or going well, you, to the next retreat, wow. the next ceremony, like all the things. And right. so I was placing so much value on the expansion, but I also, 
at the time didn't quite have the tools to value the contraction and see that as equally as important and integrative and like you're describing like weaving that thread like all the way through. <laughs> right. So I have a, a yoga modeler that I developed or began to develop called Barking Dog Yoga. And I have a, a Barking Dog Yoga practice in Grounded Spirituality, which is kind of like doing bioenergetics. You, uh-huh. go and you use the yogic experience not as a way to bypass the shadowy self, uh, the toxic body beast. I mean, if you look at the origins of yoga and the original writings around yoga, most of it was spiritual bypassing. They were trying to get rid of their fucked up humanness in order mm-hmm. to a purified state of being within the body and, and pretend all that unresolved, shadowy, toxic, un, unresolved trauma, traumatic material wasn't there or wasn't real. And now what we need to do is have a yogic practice where you're using the practice to excavate the unresolved material to bring it to the surface in a safely held space where teachers and practitioners know what they're doing and to move the anger, grief and all the rest of it on the mat. So at the end of the experience, you've had a much more complete yogic experience. One that really is what the word yoga, the notion of unity, the meaning of yoga is really should really be about. Mm-hmm. Instead of going on the mat in order to purify this so-called toxic body beast, which is inherently being desacralized and disparaged through that philosophy. You know, I had this experience with a friend. We were doing yoga in Toronto at Downward Dog Yoga years ago, and we were laughing at the back of the class. And and this was a a very, very Ashtangi studio, very focused Mm. on moving through the various steps and stages. And, you know, it was an excellent yoga studio. But this one particular teacher who's, who hasn't been there for years, he, he came right, he, he looked at us, he frowned at us, and then we stopped laughing, and then we kept laughing. And then he walked to the back of the class, very focused and very, um, very present, because he had something he wanted to say. And he looked at both of us and he said, there's no laughing in yoga. <laughs> and, and I understood what he meant. He meant this is not, we're not here to do emotions. We're here to get away from them. Get back to your practice. Mm. Hmm. So that's what so much of spirituality is about. It's very tricky and very trippy. And, you know, we've bought into it. There's been a lot of like super egoic practitioners and teachers out there that are disparaging the ego, but yet are completely egoically driven. Who've, who've had a lot of us buy into this idea that spirituality is something distinct from our humanness. And you, how can you be in a relationship with somebody who believes that the most awakened experience on this planet is something that happens independent of the human experience and connectedness? You can't. Yeah. I, my mind is going to something I think I saw that you wrote about, I think there was a kind of the phrase of like your, your vibe attracts your tribe. Something yeah. like that, but then yeah. mentioning like, well, that also attracts, you know, all these things that are present inside of you. And I guess that kind of goes back around to the, some of the new age sort of, and I love that phrase you, you use new cage because I, I so agree with that, but around like the twin flame and, or spiritualizing certain things. And there's a certain, I think with this in realment, it, it also beckons you to really look at the the places in the relationship that are I don't know really coming up and what's actually there and is this supportive it can like you said can my partner actually 
show up with me and looking at like what parts and pieces are coming up. Um, and I'm wondering, like, are there any pieces, I guess, speaking into that a little bit more of the idea of like the vibe attracts your tribe, but also what else comes along and also any pieces that you see as being really helpful to work with what comes up in a relational field and, and staying grounded enough to discern this is, this is a, I guess for lack of a better word, like a healthy place to do this work and what is, oh, wow, this has attracted something a very abusive in a relationship. That's yeah, right, right. Yeah. right. Cause we want to be careful in the sort of psychotherapeutic world, not to think that just because you're in a relationship that's triggering, it means you're supposed to stay there. Yeah. Cause that's happened, you know, where people think, well, it's triggering all my stuff. So therefore this is the one for me. And that's not always true. So I make a distinction in my writing. Um, between, you know, what, what we would call a soulmate. So somebody where there is a very special, soulful, kind of essential feeling of belonging, you know, a sense of inevitability, um, and, and a wound mate, where there is still some of those feelings, uh-huh. but at the same time you're caught in a sort of a self or soul perpetuating wound cycle that you're never going to get out of with that person. And, you know, the distinction, there's some obvious ways to distinguish it in a healthy soulmate connection you know you're you have two people who are willing to do the work with what's coming up and they see the relationship itself as a kind of a spiritual and psychodevelopmental psychodevelopmental practice as a way of growing into themselves and moving towards wholeness and whereas in a woundmate connection neither person feels that way or maybe one person feels that way the other person has no interest in doing that work so it means you're you know if you're either going to hold yourself back in terms of your own growth, or you're going to um, suffer, if, you know, immeasurably because of the person's unwillingness to use the material as fodder for relational expansion. And so you have to, you know, and then there's more subtle situations where both people do have a, a willingness, but there's just so much shadowy material that's emerging in the dynamic. You know, at this stage of human development, it's all most people can do to figure out what their stuff is. And most people can't even do that. So, you know, the idea that we're going to then be in a room with another person for 40 years and be able to figure it all out and work it all out is kind of often unrealistic. Right. We might be able to do it, but we have to really understand what we're up against and make yeah. it you know, grounded and make it realistic. And, it, and that'll help us to move forward in a way that's real with unrealistic fantastical expectations moved off to the side. So, you know, I've been in connections where it was very clear that they were just wound-made connections. There was just no way through the material, even with willingness to a healthier vibration in the connection. And so we have to ask that question always, you know, is this a soulmate connection? Does it, does it have possibility or is this primarily a wound-made connection that is never, ever going to move in the direction of something more hopeful? Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that discernment. Yeah, it's not always it's not always the place to stay just because it, it's triggering. It's just not always true. Sure, there's charge there, and we want there to be right. charge, but we don't want the charge to only be a, a negative charge. Right, and when there's that much just constant triggering, it's like you couldn't even integrate one piece before right. another huge massive piece yeah. comes up. Like there's just no space for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it may be that it is a connection where if those two individuals disconnect, um, 
and go off on their own journeys and, and transform their journeys and become more solidified. I mean, in the uncommon bond literature, um, you know, it's very clear that if people attract that kind of a connection at a young age, the odds of them sustaining it was very low because they just weren't individuated enough and solid enough within a self to be able to handle the degree of merging that happened in the connection. Um, but if they reconnected later in life, quite often those people were able to hold the charge and still had a self to come back to because the self was so beautifully developed and the connection could be sustained for the rest of their lives. So, you know, where there's a lot of charge, it doesn't mean it's the end of the story, but it may mean you have to go off and grow and experience other forms of connection before you can hold that level of intensity safe. Mm. So I'm curious too, are there any other pieces that come to mind that for you feel, I guess, indicative of mm. a relationship that can really hold the sort of grounded spirituality vehicle, for lack of a better word to say? Well, I, 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 I'm usually comforted by the idea that you're dealing with people who are able to um, manage reality on a practical level. I think it's incredibly important. Mm. I think if somebody's not walking um, on earth on a, in a grounded and practical sense in this world and is unable to manage reality, make a living in the world, take care of business, um, it's usually ultimately an indication they're not going to be able to sustain a grounded relationship in their lives. Mm -hmm. So that's a piece of it. And I, I think sacred purpose matters. So I think it's usually better if people, you know, a lot of times people will disconnect and certainly men always have done this. And I did it for many years where they, you know, feel like they haven't quite reached a certain stage on their career path, for example. And mm -hmm. I, I do think there is something to be said for, you know, reaching a stage where you feel like you're at least moving in the direction of identifying and honoring your unique sacred purpose, your individuated purpose and path. You know, so often people don't have that and then they get so merged into the other's path and they never feel a sense of connection to their own path. And that ultimately leads to the destruction of the relationship. So I think that, you know, it's better when people come together when they're already on the road to actualizing their own sacred purpose and identifying it in their lives. And then they have something to hold safe. They have something that diffuses them with life and energy and hope. Um, and it allows to avoid getting caught in a more codependent relational structure because mm, mm -hmm. they always have something to lose. They they're so becoming a writer was better for me relationally because it meant that I wasn't going to get lost in a codependent uh, structure. And it meant that I always had something to go back to that infused me with energy. So if the connection was difficult, my writing path was always enlivened and rewarding and nourishing. And that allowed me to bring good energy back into the connection. Right, right. And that's reminding me of what you mentioned earlier, too, of just like the capacity to to source back into self and, and, and be able to right. hold charge when it's there and also hold right. an amount of connection and merging. And I find that, too, is some I find a lot of people who are on the the tantric or like tantrika path um, do their own version of of like. And certain, I mean, Tantra is a whole bag of worms, but like <laughs> I see many people who, oh, like the other or my partner is the source of God. And that yeah. can also be this kind of blind spot of just fully merging and escaping actually too. 
Yeah, most people I've encountered who are on the tantric path are just they're just spiritual bypassers for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah. Um, now it depends on how you define tantra. It depends on how you practice tantra. Right. And that, but really, a lot of times it's just people find something that allows them to escape to escape their fucked up humanness, um, and they stay there for as long as they can until reality brings them crashing back to earth, and they have to either do the work on themselves or not. And that's why there's so much suiciding happening in the spiritual bypass community. There's so much suiciding happening in the new cage movement. Um, right. And you know, it's it's one of the things that got me most activated about this is that somebody I knew on, on Facebook who had fired her therapist and decided it was all an illusion and then, you know, ultimately hung herself. And this is happening all the time because they're splitting off from their humanness. So if you you don't develop the self, you know, if you don't identify a core self, if you don't work to integrate that self, clear through the debris, work through adaptations, disguises, defenses, all that material to come into greater, greater degree of integration, you can't uh, have a real love experience because you're not even there for it. Um, so any spirituality that pits you against selfhood, that is, you know, I mean, Buddhism is often a mental illness, right? It's, it's this obsession with detachment, dissociation from desire and attachment. This is a sign of a trauma survivor who just simply doesn't know what to do because we haven't developed enough models for healing in our world. So it's looking for some way out of all that pain and suffering. You can go ahead and do that. I've done it. It can be super helpful. But if you're wanting to have a really deep, heart-centered, truly present love experience, you're going to have to be here for all aspects of you before you can be here for all aspects of anything else. And mm-hmm. those ungrounded the spiritualities make it impossible for a truly integrated, inclusive, and in real love connection to develop. It's just not possible because, right. nobody, because nobody's there for it. Right. Like no one's home. Yeah. Nobody home. It's life without a center. It's life without a home. Mm. It's and in the ungrounded spirituality, being without a center is considered to be a very awakened consciousness. You're not locked into the self, that pain bodied self. You're actually here for the everything. But in fact, since we, the divine put us in human form, if you're not deeply sturdily integrated within the self, you can't really be here for anything. Because there's, mm-hmm. no, there's nobody home. Right. And so if you see a spiritual teacher talking in that really equanimous, you know, very calm, seemingly meditative, stupor way, uh-huh. tell yourself, is that person's not in their body? Yeah. Because they're not. Because if you're in your body, you're not in a state of equanimity all the time. You're not. You're in all kinds of different feeling states because you're accessing all kinds of elements of the human experience. Mm-hmm. So for me, Alexander Lowen was a, was a true spiritual teacher because he was spirited. You know, and I said to him, I said, Al, so what do they mean by this word spirituality? And he said, ah, spirituality. It means to be deeply in your body. That's what it means to be spirited. And his mm-hmm. eyes were bright. He was bushy-tailed and bright-eyed. He was alive in his body. And all of these teachers out there that feel dead in their bodies and tell me they're awakened and I get confused. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> can't be that. You can't be both. You, you can't be dead in your body and tell me you're awakened. All you've done is found a wonderful drug stupor meditative trip to dissociate from your aliveness. And it feels so you, you've gotten so good at it, like a drug addict, that you can actually stay in a state of pseudo equanimity. Now, if you really look at their personal lives, they're drinking and they're fighting with their wives and they are violent in their relationship. There's all kinds of stuff going on that they don't tell you about because it doesn't sell product when you tell that story. <laughs> That's why I love Chris Grasso, who writes yeah. the books, because Chris 
who's a friend of mine and Chris is like, and he loves grounded spirituality because Chris is just like, he could, he couldn't, he couldn't be pretentious if he tried about spirituality, you know, mm. he's like tattooed and he's had a wild history and he talks about it and he understands how that is a much more spiritual experience. And he's not denying any of it. He's not right. seeking it as some spiritual. He's acknowledging that it's all part of the spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the direction we have to go. Agreed. And it's so interesting too, you're speaking to kind of the, uh, the what's been happening with suicides within the, the new age culture. And, and yeah. I've exp- been touched by that and, in ways also in seeing that. And I know for many, it's, there's that sort of experience you were describing. And then within that is a culture that only is love and light. And so then there's further isolation. Yeah. Well, it's all a lie. Because the shadow, the unresolved emotional material is in the bones of your being. So you can go hang out with Byron, Katie and turn your story around. You can play all these games all day long if you want to, but eventually that material is coming back to the surface of consciousness and it's doing it because it wants to be healed, seen, acknowledged and transformed. And so you can try all that stuff out, but eventually at the end of the day, you're going to just be left with your stuff. So you can get to work on your stuff now, or you can play all kinds of different games for the next 10 or 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. So the problem is what's happening is the real act of bypassing community the stuff comes back in the middle of the night. It comes when they least expect it because, you know, you can only employ the various dissociative techniques for so long, new cage techniques. And, and then eventually they don't have any therapeutic support. The people they're surrounded by are a bunch of ungrounded new agers. So they don't feel like anybody can really see or receive them. Everyone's giving them bypassing mantras. Like it's all good, you know, or you, you <laughs> right. close that karmically. I mean, there's so many new cage terminologies that are intended to take us away from the pain body um, or our tender, tender woundedness. And so this is why we're seeing so much suiciding because especially during t- Trump time, there's so much darkness collectively and it's forcing a lot of those people to come into contact with their individual darkness and they don't have the tools and they don't have the resources economically often and they don't have the support structure they need. And so they decide to leave us and it's, mm-hmm. it's just happening everywhere now. And it's a, it's a terrible thing. And that's why I think critical review of spiritual teachings is absolutely mandatory. If we're going to help to save some of those lives, mm. you can, you can change your name all you want and pretend you're another person. <laughs> yeah. And that's not going to work for the, for the entirety of your lifetime. It just doesn't work like that. Yep. Yeah. I've always thought that was an interesting one (laughs) with the the name change. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for speaking to all those pieces, Jeff. I just love your work and and all the, these really important, important things that you're speaking to. So, oh, thank you. Thank you. And um, as we're winding down here, I'm curious, like, are there any other pieces of your work or offerings that are coming up if people are listening and want to connect more with you? Yeah, a uh, new website, jeffbrown.co, should be up in a couple of days. We've been working hard awesome. on it. We're excited about that. Uh, soulshapinginstitute.com, my Writing Your Way Home course is coming up in August and October. I have other courses there, and we're going to be developing that a lot in the next year. Uh, if they want to really just see a film about ungrounded spirituality, just go to karmageddonthemovie.com. We're also on iTunes and on Amazon. And they just watch my film, and they'll see a living, breathing example of this inquiry into what is grounded and what is ungrounded spirituality. I'm in the film with Bhagavan Das, Ram Das is in the film, Sean Korn, 
David Permel-Mitten, Waugh, David Life, all kinds of cool people expressing their views on this question of what does it mean to be, you know, truly spiritual in this world. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. And I actually, I saw a clip of uh, Carmageddon and it looked really awesome. So I'll definitely be watching that full film shortly. And, um, and if anyone's interested in buying your books or connecting to them, what would be the best way? Uh, most of them are in bookstores or can be ordered into bookstores. Um, and they're all up on Amazon, all six books, uh, Grounded Spirituality, Love It Forward, Soul Shaping, Spiritual Graffiti, Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground, and um, Love It Forward, Spiritual Graffiti. There's another one. Oh, and Uncommon Bond is the other one. Uh, they're, they're all on Amazon um, and Audible. They're on ebook form, and they're all also in paperback form. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you again so much, Jeff. This was just such a delight. Thank you, Mackenzie. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. If you have a question that's been sparked in your heart from this episode, shoot me a DM on Instagram at underscore honey in the heart. I'd love to connect. And of course, if you are loving the podcast, leave a review and subscribe to the show so you can receive fresh episodes right when they drop. Until next time.